Today's sponsor for TFE is brought to you by Amazon's Audible.com service, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash TFE radio. Welcome everybody to TFE Radio Wrestling. I'm your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro. This is our third episode for Saturday, November 14th, 2020. And it is actually the third recording of today, as today is the TFE Radio Network Day, a new batch of shows. And here we go with a new batch of wrestling shows, including this one. Taker stays or goes? We'll get into that a little bit later. I hope that you all have had a wonderful, strong productive positive week despite what's been going on obviously we know what's happening in the world today i've tried to shut out a lot of things after the election tried to shut out a lot of things after seeing the aw full gear pay-per-view which i hope that you all enjoyed the um very as much detailed of a review as it could possibly give not bad for the first time out, I, I would say. A lot of positive feedback from you, the wrestling fan. You, the wrestling listener, the wrestling podcast listener. Uh, I hope that you all enjoyed your week. You enjoyed the week in wrestling. Uh, there was um, a few noteworthy things that happened uh, this past week in the business. A uh, few of which I will get to. But before I get to anything else, I wanted to say thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to support us. And for you, the new listener, welcome. Uh, I'm your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro, in case I did not say who I am and identify myself to you. I am your humble host and narrator. And let's get into the first thing I'd like to get into with today's episode. We are literally one day removed from the 15-year anniversary of Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero, uh, passed away exactly 15 years ago yesterday, uh, Sunday, November 13th, 2005. Uh, Eddie had passed away in a uh, hotel uh, due to uh, seemingly heart complications. And I just wanted to give you my memories of Latino Heat. He is sorely missed. You know, I, I was watching all the different posts that people closest to him, like his nephew, Chavito uh, Chavo Guerrero, uh, had posted up, and and Vicky Guerrero, his his um, his widow, his wife, um, and and Rey Mysterio Jr., his one of his closest friends, one of his best friends, and the other uh, noteworthy, notable per- people that um, were very close to uh, Eddie and their wonderful posts and their memories about him, including uh, JBL and a number of others. Uh, 
I remember the night that I found out that Eddie had passed the night before. It was Monday Night Raw, and I was in my apartment, uh, my apartment building, which which was the first one I had moved into years and years before with my mom. Uh, we had lived together at some point, and then uh, at this point, it's now a couple of years I've been living on my own, and I remember uh, I had uh, I had some company at the time, uh, and I had heard through the grapevine that Eddie had passed. Now, when I mean the grapevine, I had somewhat seen something online, but I wasn't sure if it was like legit because again you know at the time internet wasn't the most reliable source for news or for any updates or even you know people passing away it's not like how it is now where the first news source you see is tmz but now or other or cnn or so on and so forth it was it sort of have come down and i that's where i kind of saw something at first there but it was totally confirmed when WWE's Monday Night Raw had hit the air and they had made the announcement that Eddie had passed and the, the tributes and the um, the talent on display there that night to do this tribute show for Eddie. Uh, I know from memory one of the matches that was uh, being done that night was Rey Mysterio against Shawn Michaels. It was a great matchup and Rey ended up cleanly defeating Shawn Michaels in a very, very exciting match, and I believe it was the first time that the two gentlemen had ever squared off in the ring together, working a match, just one-on-one, so it was very, very entertaining, but at the same time, it was very, it, it, it was, for me, it was surreal, and it was also, um, just, it was very disheartening, because I would have loved to have seen another match between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, of course. Uh, you know, their their best match, uh, one of my memories of them, which I know for a lot of you wrestling purists, was WCW's Halloween Havoc 97, where the two had opened the show uh, for the WCW Cruiserweight title in a classic, classic match. You know, Rey and Eddie just tore the house down. That was the match of the night for me. There was a lot, lot of little uh, or big sort of things that had happened that night that really made it memorable. But that night, the two uh, would be best friends or best friends at that time. Uh, they had been very close for the longest time at that time, tore down the house in a classic, classic match. And ultimately, you know, uh, we the fans uh, were the winners in that. And of course, that match has actually been on a couple of documentaries and DVDs, uh, documentary DVDs, I believe for Eddie, um, his documentary that had come out, I think it was shortly before or after he had passed away. Uh, I know that they had put that match on uh, Ray, Ray's um, documentary that, that they had done on him as well. Uh, also had been it had been featured in, in in various places but that is one of the classic matches and that is on the top 10 list of one of the greatest wcw matches of all time uh, 
that night, as I said, when they did the tribute show to Eddie, uh, of course, he had all his fellow uh, colleagues, co-workers, you know, his peers, uh, his friends and, and family and whatnot talking about uh, his passing and how just how incredibly sad and unfortunate and untimely it was. Eddie truly, truly was a comeback story for the ages. He came back from the car accident. He came back from having lost his job with WWE. He had worked his ass off and he had beat his demons. And here he was, you know, at the peak, at the height of his career. And just his death, his death really kind of, it, it hit me in a different kind of way because I've always sort of prided myself. And again, I'm, I'm no Eddie Guerrero. I never will be. You know, it's hard enough just being James Navarro, but Eddie inspired me to overcome your demons, overcome your obstacles, overcome your 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 challenges and kick its ass. And Eddie did that. Eddie had the addiction problems, Eddie had issues, and it was well documented uh, documented in his documentary. And I remember watching that and going, wow, he really went through some shit. I mean, like I had heard that he had been through some shit, but he really went through some shit. And WWE has this uncanny knack of putting together uh, visuals and, and this story to tell in such a way that it really does pull on your heartstrings and it really, really resonates with you. That's one of the strong points about WWE is that their documentaries are super solid. Some of their best documentaries have been where they just kept it real. They didn't. They just kept it real. They kept it raw, uh, no pun intended, and they just told the story the way it should have been told, and that was with just a lot of truth and honesty. Eddie's documentary really hit home with me, and I saw that, you know, he really had come back from nothing. You know, he had come back from, from the depths of hell, pretty much, with his personal demons, and he he had reached the peak. You know, he had become WWE World Heavyweight Champion, you know, and he was the ultimate performer. You know, the lie-stealing ste- lie and cheating moniker, the lie-steal-and-cheat, and I remember one of his last matches he had was with Kennedy. Uh, that was one of, I believe, his last televised match, if I'm not mistaken, with Ken Kennedy. And I remember he did the whole lie, steal, and cheat sort of move that we see sometimes now people doing, including MJF, who did, uh, as I mentioned in the review last week for AEW's Full Gear, here he had done this move where uh, Jericho was... Um, coming towards him uh, seemingly with an object or something and he had just sort of laid down sort of like Eddie Guerrero has done before during his matches to gain the uh, the cheap victory or to gain the, the, the cheating type of victory you know and, and just that uh, that bait and switch like he's on the ground and look he's holding the chair and you know or Eddie would toss him the championship and he'd lay down like he just got clobbered with it I mean just brilliant psychology brilliant straightforward brilliant entertaining as hell and uh, you know so MJF doing that uh, that tribute to Eddie last weekend 
at full gear really reminded me of the last match I saw of Eddie that a lot of us saw of Eddie shortly before he passed away. I think it was literally days before he passed away. Uh, that match, I believe, was on SmackDown. And Eddie had done the same exact thing with Kennedy and he had taken this he'd taken the lay down he he laid down and he uh, he was on the mat and he ended up getting the victory over Kennedy and unfortunately that was the last time we saw Eddie Guerrero on national television at least from my memory um, Eddie left such a legacy and it it's it's really sad to think about had he still been alive today where would he be in the business of course he would be number one he'd be on top he'd be the legend he was already a legend at the time when he of his untimely passing where would he been where would who would he have been working with Shawn Michaels first person I think of that can you imagine the matches between Shawn Michaels and and Eddie Guerrero two of the most psychologically well sounded well f like fundamentally sound arguably the best and greatest workers of our generation of our time in the ring with each other working a program working a long lengthy program all oh, that's a dream dream match for the ages and obviously, too, because Sean was already a legend at that time. He was already established. He was in his second, uh, basically getting, I'd say, his second wind in the business and really putting on some of his greatest matches ever. And Eddie at the top of his game, he could carry a broomstick to an amazing five-star match. And seeing those two guys in the ring would have just been, like just gold or platinum or better like it just would have been amazing to see that i would not have minded seeing uh another match between eddie guerrero and kurt angle i would not have mind seeing that i wouldn't have mind seeing uh chavo and eddie going at it again and, and seeing them to uh work a nice little lengthy match um i mean i would not have seen ed i would not have minded seeing eddie in any ring with anyone I was a lot of talent I would have loved to see I mean even though he was under a uh, contract to another company but AJ Styles who was with uh, TNA at the time seeing him in the ring with Eddie Guerrero would have been just a classic a matte classic you know seeing Eddie with Samoa Joe would have been amazing or Christopher Daniels Christopher Daniels the fallen angel I mean they were all under uh TNA's uh, banner at that time but Eddie in the ring with these guys would have been just like classic 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 matches I mean like we would we we would have been talking about those matches to this day it just would have been incredible to watch it's just unfortunate because we never got a chance to see Eddie in the ring with a lot of top talent ever we never got a chance to see I would have liked to see what his psychology would have been like with The Undertaker I'm sure he would have pulled a whole lie, steal. It's easy for me to say, lying, cheating, and stealing moves on the t on Taker, on the Taker, on Taker. It would have been really interesting to see that and see how Eddie would have worked a match with with Taker. You know, I would have loved to see another match between Eddie Guerrero and, and Chris Jericho, or Eddie and Randy Orton, and so on and so forth. I mean, the talent roster at that time was pretty deep with wwe it was pretty deep and it had a lot of very top tier talent some of which are no longer with the company of course or they're elsewhere or they're no longer wrestling but 
Eddie could have carried a match with anybody and his charisma was off the charts. You know, and he could speak well too and he spoke in, in a real in a real time voice, which was his own. He spoke about uh, you know, in a with the, the Latino uh, accent and just the way he would talk he talked very real and very raw I remember when he did the promo on Brock Lesnar just shortly before uh, going over Brock for the WWE world title back in uh, February of 2004 at No Way Out and uh, I mean that night in itself was historic but the build-up and leading up to it Eddie was he, he cut a promo that I had saw not long ago, uh, a couple of months ago, and Eddie just cut this very passionate promo, and it was very real and raw, what he was saying to Brock and what he was directing to the audience and how he was projecting his voice. It was literally hitting the back of the, you know, the cheap seats at, all the way down and resonating all over the venue. It really was one of those promos that you have to seek out. Seek out the Eddie Guerrero, uh, Brock Lesnar promo and just how real and raw it was and him in the ring at confronting Brock uh, you know during the different segments that the two had in the build-up leading up to their big world title match at No Way Out 2004 it was just it was very real it was raw it, it was like it touched it resonated it, it touched a nerve with me because you know Eddie was very passionate and this was his time this was his time to become the world heavyweight champion this was it this was Eddie's moment, and it happened, finally. Eddie deserved it after a culmination of all the things that he had been through at that moment. And becoming the World Heavyweight Champion in the WWE was a huge, huge moment. And a huge, I think one of the most historic moments in the company's history, period. Eddie went on to become World Champion and ended up with a, I believe, a five or six month run as champ on top. They said that it was... Uh, Eddie really put a lot of pressure on himself to succeed as world champion because, you know, when the chips are down, everybody and all eyes are on the world champion, you know, to bring the houses up, to bring the pay-per-view numbers up, to bring the TV numbers up, to bring the merchandise up. You have a lot of burden as the world champion. Eddie was was from the, the old school, the old school of hard knocks in the business where being the world champion meant something. At this time, of course, WWE was still uh, in the middle of their brand, their brand split, and you know they had the two world titles. But even then, when they did the split, the world titles still meant something on both brands. And here, Eddie got his chance to be the world champion. I think Eddie would have done a magnificent job had he been given just the one world title and there was no other world champion in the company but there was a lot of pressure on him because he was one of the top guys and he had the big belt around him so he had to carry that with a, a certain level of respect and dignity and you know with the the know-how that I've got to be the one that draws. I'm the number one draw. This is Vince McMahon and the company putting the rocket ship behind me and taking me to the moon and pushing me to the moon and I have to deliver. And Eddie put a lot of pressure on himself and it it uh, it did take a toll on him. Uh, unfortunately, you know, once we saw what had happened with um, uh, Eddie's uh, reign coming to an end at the hands of JBL, uh, you know, Eddie still was competing at a, at a very high level but you could see that uh, if you were a fan of Eddie's at the time which like I was you always kind of wondered would Eddie get back to that level would he become world champion again I think he would have 
I think he would have had at least a good couple of more runs as champion. You know, he was giving that first initial run. I think it was a successful one. But again, at the time, the business was sort of uh, still uh, untested. Like, the wrestling business is very fickle in the sense where uh, that seven-day, that seven-year uh, cycle where the wrestling business reinvents itself, the business at the time, they were smaller companies that are, that are now bigger companies, but they were not able to compete with WWE, and WWE was still sort of competing with themselves, hence, as I mentioned, the brand split. Had there been competition, we probably would have seen a whole different landscape, of course, at that time. But at that time, you know, Ring of Honor was still fairly new. TNA was still fairly new. And then we had a little few companies here and there. But those were the only companies at the time competing at the same time with WWE. But Eddie was one of those top-tier performers. And had he gone to TNA, had he gone to Ring of Honor, had he gone somewhere else, had he gone back to Japan... You know, we would have seen a different Eddie Guerrero. We would have seen one that really, I mean, there's no telling. There's no telling. It's only speculation, obviously, now, unfortunately, of where we could have seen Eddie go in the business. Eddie was already at the top of his game. A few runs as the world champion, probably holding a couple of other titles outside of that. Maybe another IC title run, maybe another US title run, maybe another tag team run, uh, tag team title run. Eddie being the world champion was was destined to happen, and I think was destined to happen a few more times after that. But uh, man, what a what a talent, what a charismatic figure, and he really came into his own around I would say about two thousand two thousand and three two thousand four basically when he had become world champion. I mean, he was hitting his stride. And there was nobody hotter than Eddie. Eddie was just on top of his game. Even if you look at the uh, the run he had with China, may she rest in peace as well. The run that he had with China, and you know the whole Mamacita and all that. I know Vicky had made mention in the documentary on Eddie uh, back then that you know Mamacita was something that he was always calling uh, Vicky. You know that's his wife, and you know that sort of let, that Latino heat that 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 Latin passion, that Latin love, that Latin lover type of gimmick that he was doing. It was basically just him turning the volume all the way up on TV for entertainment purposes, but that's how he was with his wife. He was very much in love with Vicky, and, you know, it's just great to see that Vicky is still in the business. She's gotten back into the the thick of things with AEW, as I mentioned last week. Now she's managing uh, Nyla Rose. And, of course, uh, their daughter has gotten into the business as well. And, you know, just wonderful things that are still ahead for the Guerrero family. Chavo looks amazing. He looks like he's he's he's, he's ready. He could, he could beat up a piece of glass and not get hurt. You know, like he looks great. He looks great. Um, I know he at one point he had run the promotion uh, down in Mexico with uh, Alberto Del Rio. Or Elbow? Uh, elbow? Elbow. <laughs> Alberto Patron, uh, and I know that that promotion, from what I understand, is no longer around or it's not operational at the moment. But Chavo has been doing some great things in his life and his business ever since the passing of his uncle and one of his best friends, uh, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, it's just nothing replaces Eddie. Uh, he was the original heat seeker. 
and the original heat getter like he 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 could play the heel he could play the face i loved him playing the lying stealing cheating eddie guerrero who at any means necessary would win a match whether it's disqualification count out with some type of fuckery that he was doing he just truly was an incredible talent and i'm glad they did not waste any time putting him into the hall of fame shortly after his passing in uh, 2006 Eddie truly truly deserved all the accolades he deserved all his flowers so to speak while he was still alive and there's just no telling where he could have gone in the business you know after losing the title uh, to JBL and you know him regaining the title from either John Cena who ultimately beat JBL and kicked off the Cena era or it could have been, could you imagine those matches Eddie Guerrero and and Eddie uh, Eddie Guerrero and um, John Cena for the world title. I know they had competed for the U.S. title and all that, but it, it just like on a higher level, when you take the world title and put that into the picture and the, put that into the mix and you up the game of uh, an up-and-coming and just real upstart with John Cena being pushed to the top-tier main event level, you know, as he was hitting his his peak and his stride, getting into that next level. And ultimately becoming a, a legendary figure in the company and Eddie already a legend at that time you know a very iconic um, individual in the wrestling business having competed all over the world up at that point and of course hitting the top of the mountain at WWE seeing them go at it for the world title uh, seeing you know Eddie and Booker T or Eddie and Batista or you know anybody else that we could possibly pretty much think of it would have been it would have been just a five-star match. Eddie could carry anybody, but Eddie didn't need to carry a whole lot of people because the level of competition he had in the ring was top-notch, top-level, just the same as him, but nobody will ever be him. And I truly miss him. I really do. Uh, I often find myself sort of avoiding certain talk or certain images or video of Eddie because, you know, it just it, it does hit home. His passing really did touch me. It really did. And of course, we know that um, on the, the sort of, however way you want to look at it, the darker side of things, when uh, Chris Benoit had ultimately um, basically catapulted himself into infamy forever with the, uh, the Benoit murder-suicide, uh, it greatly affected Benoit, um, Eddie's passing, and Benoit would write in his diary basically messages to eddie as if he was speaking to eddie um, you know that that loss uh, truly affected chris and really did a number on his head and his heart and unfortunately the outcome of benoit and his wife and son uh, became a tragic story in wrestling and a tragic story and just basically just in humanity and uh, Eddie's passing really affected a lot of different people uh, of all walks of life. You know, he truly was a superstar and just an incredible talent. And uh, he'll be sorely missed. But uh, here's to the memory of Latino Heat. 15 years later, gone but never forgotten. He lives in all of us. You know, Sasha Banks is a huge Eddie Guerrero fan. She is... Uh, she is a huge fan of his and she's used some of his tactics in the ring including the frog splash and certain little intricacies that he's done 
And uh, it's good to see that a lot of stars in the business of today and even from yesteryear are using uh, different things that Eddie had left us uh, for entertainment purposes and, and really keeping his, his legacy alive. And uh, it just, it's just unfortunate. But, you know, long live Latino heat. Having said that, I'll be back after these messages. A word from our sponsor, TFE Radio Wrestling Episode 3. Amazon's Audible service is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash TFE Radio and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash TFE Radio. That's www.audibletrial.com slash TFE Radio and get started today. Welcome back, everybody, to TFE Radio Wrestling for Episode 3 for Saturday, November 14th, 2020. Once again, I'm your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro. We hope that you're enjoying the show so far. And the first segment to talk about the memories of Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero, as it is the 15-year anniversary as of yesterday. And now we're going to get into something else. Speaking of legends, I mentioned The Undertaker earlier when speaking about Eddie. Here we go with The Undertaker. As I said last week, I was going to get into my thoughts about if this is going to be the last time that we see Taker in a WWE ring. Uh, is this going to be ultimately the final time that we do the farewell for The Undertaker? Or will this just lead to other things that will ultimately lead to a bigger picture scenario for Taker? with the WWE. Next week, a week from tomorrow, will be the Survivor Series pay-per-view, the very event 30 years ago that The Undertaker had debuted. Last week I had covered Undertaker's debut and who he was in the ring with that night when he had debuted as Kane, The Undertaker, with Brother Love as his manager at the time. And we are going to talk about present day. Is this it for the Taker? Is Taker done? My opinion? No. This cannot be the way that Undertaker is sent off into the sunset, or rides off into the sunset, so to speak. Taker's his own man. He can make his own decisions about when he's going to stay or when he's going to go. Ultimately, it's up to him, and of course, you know, with the blessing of Vince McMahon. That relationship has always been a very close one, but it's not always been, you know, a box of fluffy ducks, so to speak, as Roddy Piper would once say. Taker is not done. This is not the way to be th- to be real, to be real, real with you. There is no fans. There is no WWE fans in the stands right now. We are still in the middle of this pandemic. You know, of course, the COVID cases have gone up and so on and so forth. But this is not the way that you end off Taker's career. It has to be done on a, on a high level, on a much higher level. I mean, it's suiting. It, it's, it's, it's suitable to do it uh, with the same event in which he debuted. Yes. But because of what's going on, 
you know, the Thunderdome, it's cool and everything. Visually, it's cool, but it's not the same as having a stadium full of people. Now, of course, there's been, in the last few years, a lot of start and stops with Undertaker's last ride, so to speak, much like the name of the documentary that came out, which I still have to actually see it. I haven't seen the last ride. I haven't seen the docuseries yet. I have not seen it. I will see it, though. I'll probably see it between now and next week. Uh, Survivor Series coming up. But I do really think that this is it for Taker being a, a part of something big uh, for now. But I do think it's going to be something big that will lead to a bigger picture. Now let me explain. As I said, there is no fans in the stands right now to help to generate that very special moment. Much like how they kind of tried to do when Taker had put over Roman Reigns a few WrestleManias ago. And that was supposedly the end of The Undertaker in the ring. And they did the whole leaving the, uh, well, Taker did the, you know, the leaving of the, um, the, uh, uh, his, 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 his ring gear in the middle of the ring and walking off and the salute and everything else. And we thought, okay, that's it. That was it. That was Taker's last match. But we ultimately found out that it wasn't. Now, the, uh, the Boneyard match with AJ at this year's WrestleMania, when they did that very cinematic, just incredibly shot and well done match. Taker looked very, very well, very good in that match against AJ. That probably should have been his last match. It should have been. The match against Roman Reigns, not so much. I don't think it should have been. I think it should have been built up as Taker's last match, but it wasn't. Uh, it just sort of played out itself that way at the end once we started to realize that this was it, but it really ultimately wasn't it. So it's been a lot of start, stops, finishes, whatnot. Uh, I believe that Taker should go out with a crowd full of people, a sold-out stadium full of people at WrestleMania. I really do think that that should be the last of it for his career. It should not be in front of a bunch of and I'm, not, I'm no offense but it should not be done with a uh, empty arena with a bunch of led panels you know with people you know chiming in it should be done in a stadium full of people so i think that they're probably going to do and a lot of you have speculated a lot of wrestling podcasters and youtubers have speculated that it looks like that they might do something with taker and um the uh the uh, retribution it looks like they might do something with that which will ultimately lead to a match at wrestlemania with taker and somebody from the from the faction or the entire faction itself or something to do with wrestlemania and taker being in the ring again uh, hopefully at that time i mean it could be somewhat wishful thinking but it we, we're hoping that with everything finally you know, subsiding and finally everything ending with this pandemic that we can have a stadium and having uh, big social gatherings again, let alone having, you know, a stadium full of people for WrestleMania or any other large event. You know, the NFL is starting to have people again in their their uh, their audience, their, their crowds. Uh, AEW has at least about a thousand people in their audience now. Of course, social distancing uh, rules apply and the mass and everything. But eventually... An ultimately big picture scenario right now in the goal of eventually, hopefully soon, 
is to have a stadium full of people. And that's where I think that Taker should be riding off into the sunset, not in front of a bunch of panels and LED lights and, you know, all, you know, it's not the way that Taker's career should be ending. It should be done in front of actual physical people, the WWE universe, as they call it, and it should be done that way. So I do not think that this is the end of Taker. Now, they may just surprise us and really push it that it is, as they have been pushing it that this is the final farewell. They have been pushing it on their television, on their programming. WWE is going with this. They are going with this narrative that this is going to be, uh, this is it, that this is the story, that this is going to be the end of Taker, and he's saying goodbye at the event in which he debuted 30 years ago. I don't think it's going to be the end. I think Taker will come back for at least one more match at Mania, and that will be billed as his final match ever. Uh, or it could be, it could be, you know, maybe a, another start-stop finish again. It's really just up to Taker at the end of the day because, uh, you know, Taker's schedule is very, it's, it's the lightest it's ever been now. He maybe wrestle once a year, if that. You know, he is pretty banged up. He's been, been, he's been, been been <laughs> he's been pretty banged up but will this be the end i don't think so and he looks in incredible shape for if you see the pictures and you've seen what he looks like now uh and even when he got to that match with aj styles at wrestlemania this past uh april that he looked incredible he looked amazing and he looked like he was ready to go and he was ready to go that night when they shot the uh the cinematic boneyard match with him and aj for mania and it turned out to being uh, arguably the classic of the night of the entire two-day uh, WrestleMania show. But this is not the end. Taker is not going to just ride off into the sunset, <clears throat> so to speak, uh, just like that. You know, yes, it's fitting to do it at the event in which he debuted, but not when there's no actual crowd participation and audience there it has to be done on a bigger level now had there been a crowd had there been an audience for survivor series then yes it would have been perfect and it should be the end but again let's stop putting this this stigma and this albatross around taker that this has to be his last match this has to be the end this has to be it i don't want to see him in the ring anymore taker can go when he wants to go when he's 100% healthy but I mean he's got 30 years of legendary status legendary matches legendary programs he's worked legendary a legendary figure and a legendary character he is on my Mount Rushmore of of the greatest of all time I said that last week he truly is and he is the only one to have a run on top of the business as a main team as a main event star nobody has ever had a kind of run like the undertaker has he is the greatest creation of the wwe and he ran with it he is he done i don't think so he had the biggest and longest most unbelievable and arguably the most lucrative run of any main eventer on top you know bigger than taker uh, you would probably say Hogan or Austin or Rock, or, but even those runs, while still lengthy, 
were not as long as the undertaker's run on top because literally taker has been a main eventer from the time he walked in the door in the wwe and he never looked down he only looked up and he started at the top and he continued to move from the top and continued to go further and further up top where he's literally on that mount rushmore for me taker was always a feature attraction he was always a main eventer he was always the top star in the business he never was not you know he obviously he had been on the undercard of many many events many pay-per-views and tv shows and and uh, other special events pertaining to the business pertaining to wrestling pertaining to wwe and wwf at the time but taker was never ever treated like a mid-carder never never and here he is at the brink of his supposed final farewell and he's still garnering that attention the whole event is being being um focused around him and his 30 years in the business and a celebration of his 30 years and this final farewell is not going to be the final farewell i could tell you that from now i think at some point between now and uh the next wrestlemania coming up in 2021 hopefully there is a stadium full of people but i would hope too that that weekend wrestlemania when they finally do do the hall of fame that not only who we already know was supposed to go in this past year but didn't happen the british bulldog posthumously of course jbl and a number of other individuals i think that the undertaker will be the main event of and the feature special feature attraction of the hall of fame this coming year and I think that would be a fitting time to induct him just after his third year year anniversary at the Survivor Series next weekend. It's a perfect scenario. 30th anniversary of The Undertaker on top in the WWE, the longest active in-ring performer for the company and arguably the longest in-ring active performer, period. After so long, after so many trials and tribulations with the same company, no starts, no stops, no pauses. He has been there through and through for those entire three decades. And then to induct him into the Hall of Fame, you know, the following April, March or April. I'm not sure when WrestleMania is now. The, uh, WrestleMania 37, I believe it's going to be in April. Uh, that would be a perfect time to also induct him to the Hall of Fame. And then perhaps, you know, same weekend for WrestleMania, maybe have his final, final match. Or maybe you just sort of don't make mention of it and know that he could probably come back at any time if necessary to come back and, and put somebody else over, put over a young talent or an upstart or something of that nature. I always thought that him against Aleister Black, who's having some issues right now in the company, I think that would have been a, a very uh, entertaining, amazingly well-built-up program between two gentlemen who have similar styles and similar gimmicks you know the dark side versus the dark side but we'll see what happens we will see what happens so we'll as the title of this episode goes will taker stay does taker stays or goes i think he stays i don't think he's going anywhere anytime right now i think soon eventually but again, I don't want to keep putting the fork in his career. It's not my business to do so. It's not anyone else's business to do so. We can just, you know, as wrestling pundits and wrestling podcasters and YouTubers and, you know, wrestling media speculate and armchair quarterbacks, we can only speculate is Taker done. 
is Taker going to be riding off into the sunset at Survivor Series? And that's going to be it. He's going to do it in front of a pay-per-view audience, both on the network and regular pay-per-view. Or is he... And, and a bunch of panels and LED lights and uh, LED screens and stuff like that for uh, the Thunderdome audience there in the, uh, the Amway Center. Is that it? I don't think so. Taker's sticking. He's sticking. He's sticking around. He is, as Jim Ross once put it many times, actually, he is the conscience. He is the backbone of the WWE. He is the foundation. I don't think he's going to be done right now. Will he go on to bigger and better things, perhaps, in Hollywood? Uh, I think so. I think his in-ring career is pretty much done and winding down. Does he go and compete anywhere else? No, I don't think so. I think that would do... uh, probably some damage to his legacy if he was to go anywhere else like an AEW or uh, somewhere else I mean AEW is the only big company I could really think of where Taker would be somewhat of a fit and but would it happen I don't think so but we've seen stranger things happen in business of wrestling but uh, I think he's done with WWE when he's ready to be done uh, the start stop of his career ending at these events over the last couple of years uh, it's just been, you know, crying wolf so far. I think when it really is truly the end, it will be on, it will be under uh, the decision making of Vince McMahon and ultimately Mark Calloway, aka The Undertaker, who is one of my favorites of all time. And then we will definitely know because then it would be the build of this is the end once and for all, Undertaker's last match in the ring. And this is his goodbye once and for all. So I think it's a bit premature to say that right now that this is his farewell. I think it's better apropos to celebrate his 30-year anniversary in the company at the same event in which he debuted. I think they should be sticking with that. But they're saying also they're sort of adding that other layer that this is Taker's final farewell. So it's sort of a bit of... um, a double-edged sword right now with how they're doing this but this event is being fashioned around the undertaker and his final farewell at his 30-year anniversary having debuted 30 years ago with the company uh i think it's more of uh the uh the latter of what i said a moment ago he's not done he's going to stick around and wrestlemania comes about and hopefully uh, you know, the storm finally settles and we can get some people back into the the the, uh, the venues, the stadiums, the arenas, and we could see the proper, proper way to send out The Undertaker on a high note in front of thousands and thousands of people and millions watching all over the world on pay-per-view and the network and so on and so forth. That's the best way. That's the proper in a perfect world scenario to have the undertaker and his in-ring career having said that i will be back after these messages a word from our sponsor tfe radio wrestling episode three taker stays or goes i say he stays we'll be back after these messages word from our sponsor Why Amazon's Audible? 
Amazon's Audible content includes more than 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Be sure to use our unique URL at www.audibletrial.com slash TFE Radio to get started today. And we are back here for our third and final segment for this week's episode of TFE Radio Wrestling, Episode 3. Taker stays or goes, as you heard in the previous segment, I believe that Taker will stay. And now we are going to get to our final segment of this show and put a nice pretty bow on this and call it a day. And we will return back here for next week's Episode 4. That will be Survivor Series weekend, the day before Survivor Series, more accurately. And speaking of Survivor Series, I have chosen to throw us into the time machine and go back in our segment, Throwback Matches of the Week. In this case, once again, it's Throwback Matches of the Week. I have chosen WWF Survivor Series 1996 live from Madison Square Garden on Sunday, November 17th, 1996. It was hosted and presented by Milton Bradley's Karate Fighters, if you remember those ridiculous commercials that they used to have during the uh, build-up to the Survivor Series. I did not care about that. Uh, I just thought it was sort of a rip-off of <laughs> the Street Fighter characters or the, uh, the Double Dragon characters, but uh, nonetheless... That's neither here or there. This was from Madison Square Garden in New York City. The attendance was over 18,000 people, 18,647 to be exact. This was the event in which it was most notable. One of the things that had happened is this was a very historic Survivor Series in many instances. Number one being the night that Dwayne The Rock Johnson, aka Rocky Maivia, would debut for the company. And the rest would be history. As you know, The Rock is one of the biggest stars, if not the biggest star in Hollywood. Years and years later, this now being 24 years later, The Rock looks incredible. And of course, this was the night that the late Jimmy Superfly Snooker made an appearance, bringing down the house when he made his appearance, uh, appearing for the opposing team against the Jerry Lawler team that night during the Survivor Series and there was some interesting matches that happened but of course the two matches that I will be picking out and talking to you about in our throwback matches of the week was the two matches that were ultimately helping to make this night historic. The first one being the first ever official meeting between Brett the Hitman Hart, who had just signed a 20-year contract with the WWF. Uh, we know what would happen a year later, and the Survivor Series 97 screwjob, the Montreal screwjob with him and Shawn Michaels, and ultimately leading to Brett going to WCW. But he was in the ring with the man who would ultimately kick off the Austin error about a year and a half later and was red hot from this moment when he had won the King of the Ring in June of 1996 that year and here he was months later after calling out Brett and Brett finally signing, re-signing with the company 
after speculation of him going to WCW in 96, after he had dropped the title to Brett, uh, excuse me, after Brett had dropped the title to Shawn Michaels at that year's WrestleMania 12 in the 60-minute Ironman challenge. The Ironman match uh, was not the last time we had seen Brett in the ring, but this was the first big platform in which Brett was uh, making his in-ring return, so to speak. He had had matches with his brother Owen for the Kuwait Cup. You know, he had had uh, matches here and there overseas. Uh, Brett was just finishing up and wrapping up commitments. But ultimately, during the negotiation process, uh, they had started to lean towards Brett was going to resign and having Austin call out Bret Hart, including September 96 Mind Games, the In Your House Mind Games pay-per-view in Philadelphia, sold-out crowd where Austin, in an interview, I believe it was with Brian Pillman, called Bret Hart, uh, if you replace... You call him Hitman, but if you take the 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 uh, you put the S in front of Hitman, he'd be the Shitman. And I remember him calling out Brett, and ultimately Brett uh, making his appearance from Monday Night Raw in uh, I believe it was in October of '96. He had then say uh, he had then stated that he was going to in fact uh, stay with the WWF, and he was going to face Stone Cold Steve Austin at that year's Survivor Series, and that is where we are at now. The match, very, very well done, very well put together. The psychology was very well done. Uh, as we know, ultimately, they would have the WrestleMania 13 match, the I Quit match, which would then, uh, was such a brilliant match and arguably one of the greatest matches ever in the company's history, one of the greatest matches of all time, period. As we know that Brett uh, and Austin did the double turn where Brett became the heel, uh, the anti-American uh, heel and everybody else is better than America heel, uh, heel face. And then we had the uh, formation of the cool heel, which was still uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he became uh, ultimately a face. And then, of course, a year later after that, at WrestleMania, the Austin era is kicked off with Mike Tyson raising his hands as he defeats Shawn Michaels for the World Heavyweight title and his first run. And then the fortunes of the WWF then turned around and ultimately defeating WCW and all other competition and all categories against WCW. Austin helped to turn the fortunes of the company around. And then again, ultimately turned everything into a uh, publicly traded company and that was on the strength of Austin his work with Brett, Sean and everyone else that he was in the ring with but this night was the one and only Steve Austin and his first match against Bret Hart his first big match on a big major platform such as this and this was this was the this was the night that also we also saw The Undertaker against Mankind, uh, a.k.a. Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack, where uh, Paul Bearer was suspended above the ring. As you know that Paul Bearer had turned on Undertaker at that year's Survivor, excuse me, that year's SummerSlam, uh, having helped Mick Foley, a.k.a. Mankind, defeat The Undertaker in the Boiler Room match, which was the first Boiler Room match ever in the company's history and here we have Brett and Austin 
putting on a technical display because Austin, many people don't remember and many people forget is that Austin, Steve Austin, was a technical marvel in that ring. He was a true, amazing talent, technically sound, and he could go. I watched him at WCW have some amazing matches with some amazing talent. Great Mota, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, Bobby Eaton, uh, so on and so forth. And he was a technical wizard in that ring. And he was a man's man in that ring as a professional wrestler. And not to mention his matches with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You know, trading the TV title, trading the US title. Austin was a technical wizard and he was considered the best wrestler in the on the planet at that time and even brett had even said it at the time when he was making his return to the ring austin was the uncrowned world champion even at that time but austin was the best worker in the business at that time bar none and here he was with arguably the greatest worker of all time in bret hart again give or take a rick flair or randy savage or you know even a tito santana or uh you know Rick Martel or uh, you know you you take your pick but here was two technical wizards going at it a very entertaining match both going back and forth they, they, they did some brawling they did some technical wizardry in the ring they had a, a knockdown drag out fight and a knockdown drag out wrestling match thoroughly entertained and what a lot of people don't remember about this match was that it was also a singles match to determine the number one contender to the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And whoever was going to win this match was going to face the winner of the main event match, which I will get to in a moment. The end result of the match, of course, was Austin losing against Brett cleanly in the middle of the ring as... Uh, Brett uh, rolls up uh, Steve Austin much in the way that he had done with Roddy Piper uh, years before at WrestleMania 8 to regain the WWF Intercontinental Championship where Piper had slapped on the sleeper hold and Brett had kicked back and then rolled up on top of uh, Piper and then having his shoulders down. Uh, now mind you, when you see the replay, uh, Piper's shoulders don't seem to be very much down, but they were down more than enough so that we could have a clear-cut winner here. Uh, but same same outcome. Same outcome. Uh, Piper, uh, much like... Uh, w well, Austin did basically the same thing that Piper did. And uh, he had slapped on the Million Dollar Dream. Again, he had already uh, parted ways with Ted DiBiase, who at that point had already made his debut for WCW as the financier of the NWO. Austin was on his own, obviously. He had dropped the million-dollar gimmick. He was Stone Cold Steve Austin now. He was the ass-kicker. He was the one who was cussing and everything else. You remember the Austin 316 promo he had cut on Jake the Snake at the King of the Ring earlier that year in June of 96. That was the night that the Austin era had begun, in my opinion. And of course, as Brett was clamped and trapped into the million dollar dream, he kicks backwards, rolls up on top of Austin, and Brett becomes the declared winner and the number one contender to the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And I remember after the match, Austin looking like he was not done with Brett as he was looking 
at the ring, looking at um, Brett in the ring, celebrating as he was walking backwards to the locker room, to the backstage area. He was watching Brett, and you said, if you as a fan, you're like, yeah, it's not over between these two, not by a long shot, and it wasn't. Uh, they would go on to basically feud from then on, again, through WrestleMania 13, all the way through the summer, uh, up until about Survivor Series 97, up till about that time, uh, Austin and Brett were intertwined with each other in some capacity, and Brett would go on to win a couple more world titles, and ultimately, as again, I mentioned, the Montreal Screwjob would happen exactly a year later. And as Brett was the winner and the number one contender to the WWE World title, Austin still was a part of the, the, uh, the contenders for the world title as he would be mixed into the world title picture. And speaking of the world title, the main event was for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship in a match that a lot of people said was the end of Shawn Michaels' reign as world champion. Shawn had been world champion having defeated Bret Hart at WrestleMania 12 in the 60-minute Ironman Challenge, as I had mentioned before. A lot of people were sort of not happy with Shawn being the world champion, a lot of fans at least, and they wanted a change. Now, Sean had been on top since uh, the uh, the end of March of 96, and he was then ultimately dethroned here on uh, mid-November of 96. So he had a fairly good run when you think about it. It's like, uh, okay, we got April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Well, yeah, he had about an eight-month run, a solid eight-month run, I would say. It was Sean's first of four world titles in the company's history. And here we have his defeat. Before I get to the defeat, but his part his his dance partner for that night was Psycho Sid. Sid Vicious. Yes, that's right, Sid Vicious. I will always remember him as Sid Vicious, not Psycho Sid. Sid Vicious defeated Sean in twenty minutes and two seconds to win the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Sean had his mentor and his trainer, Jose Lothario, in the ring, uh, accompanying him to the ring. Uh, Sid had played off of uh, Sean's speed and his agility and his, ab his ability to work with anyone and make a great match with anyone, no matter what talent or how what size you were. And Sid, of course, you know, Sid was not a bad worker. He was not. He wasn't known for his work. He was known for his size, his look, you know, his promo ability, his craziness on the mic, you know, his, his physical charisma. But here he was uh, being crowned the new WWF World Heavyweight Champion once he had clobbered Sean with the video camera from the uh, cameraman at ringside and I remember this because when Sean had attended to Lothario at ringside who had uh, been he had taken some kind of bump or something had happened but Lothario was out and Sean was attending to him and the referee was knocked out or distracted or something I think he was knocked out and Sid took the video camera and just clobbered Sean on the back rolled him into the ring power bombed him and then you could actually hear, I think they tried to actually cut out the sound from this at one point, but you could actually hear live on the pay-per-view, because I watched it live on pay-per-view that night. You could hear the crowd counting 
with the referee, the one, two, and three, and then the music hits, and Sid has become the new world heavyweight champion in the WWF, and you could hear the crowd, you could hear them sold out Madison Square Garden, just erupt in cheers, because now we had a new world champion. This was the end of Shawn Michaels' first reign and era as the uh, world heavyweight champion. This was the end of the click era, because remember, even though the Click was an actual faction of real-life friends, you know, with Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall, and uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, Triple H, uh, Six-Pac, a.k.a. X-Pac, or the One Two Three Kid, have you, Shawn Waltman, and, of course, uh, Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel. This was it. This was the Click, the end of their, their reign, because um, Shawn had called his fans the Click, and everyone was doing the hand signals, but it was ultimately a inside, uh, an inside joke, pretty much, or inside reference to his actual clique that basically ran the backstage and ran the politics of uh, the business, both in WCW and the WWF, and arguably you might say even ECW, because Just Incredible uh, was a, a PJ Polacco was actually a part of the clique in some form or fashion. They considered him to be a member, and here he was in ECW, making a name for himself there, and ultimately becoming a main eventer and an ECW World Champion. So that was the end of it. Sid Sid had become the World Champion, and here he was uh, defending the title for a couple of months, and ultimately dropping the title back to Sean at the following. Uh, year's Royal Rumble uh, months later in January of 897 at the uh, the Alamo Dome in front of 60,000 plus people and Sean being the hometown hero regaining the world title and ultimately you know the rest of the history which I'll get to eventually and talk about you know Sean's more infamous moments in the business including not dropping the world title back to Bret Hart the following Wrestlemania at Wrestlemania 13 instead you know, he ends up uh, not dropping it to anybody. And then ultimately, uh, Sid wins back the world title in a, in a four-way uh, defeating... Or excuse me, he defeated Bret Hart after Bret had won the four-way at the No Way Out. Uh, the In Your House pay-per-view years before... Uh, sorry, a month or so before. The timeline goes, Sid wins the world title in November defeating Sean. Then he defends the title, I believe it was in a triple threat match with Sean and Brett. Sid wins the match. Then in January of 97 at the Alamo Dome, as I mentioned, Sid Sid, uh, is defeated by Shawn Michaels for the world title. Shawn in February of 97 drops the title because he had lost his smile, so to speak. Then it kicked off the pay-per-view that was coming up at that time, which was the In Your House pay-per-view, the Fatal 4-Way match with Austin, Vader, Taker, and Brett. Um, Brett wins the title. That becomes now his fourth reign as champion. He drops it the night later, the night after. Um, Monday Night Raw, I believe that was the... I think that was a two-hour Raw, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the first time that Raw had gone two hours, gone to two hours and permanently stayed at two hours. Sid had defeated Bret Hart for the world title and 
uh, I believe it was with the help of Austin, Stone Cold had interfered. Um, and then Sid became world champion, ultimately dropping the title at WrestleMania 13 to Taker. And then ultimately Taker loses the title months later to Bret Hart at uh, SummerSlam 97 uh, in East Rutherford, New Jersey at the uh, the Continental Airlines Arena the same night that uh, Steve Austin had defeated Owen Hart after being temporarily paralyzed legitimately in the ring for the Intercontinental Championship, a very historic event, the heart and soul they named it uh, for SummerSlam and then ultimately again, as we know, the Montreal Screwjob and Sean becoming the world champion and then from there, Sean drops the title at WrestleMania 14 in the historic night that was the beginning and the real kickoff the ultimate big high level kickoff of the Austin era and Austin becomes the world heavyweight champion so that is basically the that was basically in a nutshell November 96 to March 98 of who was the world champion and the inner uh, happenings of who was involved in that world title picture at that time and here we had Sid uh, starting his first run as the WWF World Heavyweight Champion, defeating Shawn Michaels, and then you know the rest. So this was a, uh, for me, a thumbs-up pay-per-view at the time. I really enjoyed the last two matches, of course. I enjoyed seeing, um, you know, the pop that Snuka got. I mean, give or take what you say about Jimmy Snuka. You know, he was very over, especially with the New York Madison Square Garden Cup crowd. You know, of course, dating back to when he flew off the top of the cage onto Don Morocco after their Intercontinental battle, uh, you know, uh, back in 83. And, uh, you know, the debut of Rocky Maivia, who was like a white white meat baby face and uh, ultimately uh, becoming The Rock. It was, uh, you know, it was just an entertaining night to see all this array of talent being put on display and uh, it was a thumbs up pay-per-view it um you know and what really carried it for me was the matches that i just spoke about austin and brett uh, austin uh, stone cold and the hitman uh, more appropriately named austin versus uh hart and uh, sid and sean michaels having said that that's it for me i am done I will be joining you all back here again next Saturday, which will be the 21st. And we will get into some Survivor Series predictions, what will happen at this year's Survivor Series as the matches are pretty much laid out. That will be again Saturday, November 21st. And the following day on the 22nd will be the Survivor Series. I will in fact do a review and results results and review of the survivor series for that same show so we will be covering the weekend wrestling from now until well after i finish hitting the stop button on this show and this goes up anything that happens after i've done recorded and put this show up from now until saturday until sunday i will cover everything including the results and review of the Survivor Series as I am interested to see what they do with The Undertaker and what they do with some of the matches for the night. So having said that, thank you very much for joining us here again for TFU Radio Wrestling and 
If you would like to join me on social media, you can do so at TFE Navarro on Instagram, Facebook, or just look up James Navarro. Send me a friend request. Say hello. Uh, also on Twitter, TFE Navarro. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all TFE Navarro. And I believe I'm thinking of LinkedIn as well. That's right. I'm TFE Navarro on there as well. Or you could just look up James Navarro. You could follow my company at TFE Worldwide on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TFE The Franchise Entertainment on LinkedIn. Or you can also, or and, and or, you can donate uh, to us using the www.paypal.me slash tfe navarro that's t-f-e-n-a-v-a-r-r-o the money goes to a great cause it goes to us we get a chance to keep this show and all these shows and all of our content free for you it helps to you know give us a little kickback so that we can definitely uh, buy some new equipment get some new things going for the company ultimately make some merchandise and things of that nature for the, you the listener and you the supporter of myself and my company and everything that is tfe related and uh, you will also see, uh, you know, where that money will go because I will definitely be posting pictures and video of what I'm doing with uh, your hard-earned dollar as we are earning our dollar with this content and this show and everything as well. You could also help us out by getting yourself an Amazon's Audible service. It's a win-win either way. As you heard the commercials throughout the show, uh, different parts of the show you hear in the commercials three different commercials the beginning the middle and the end amazon's audible service get that going for yourself get a free downloaded audiobook you get to keep it whether you keep the service of 14.95 a month or not for the service again you can dive into 180,000 plus different titles including a lot of wonderful wrestling audiobooks from chris jericho jim ross and uh sean michaels and uh the list goes on and on and on of course you know anything stephen king related you know uh you name it it's on there you can check it out for yourself and we get a little kickback you help us out there as well using our unique url at uh, www.audibletrial.com slash tfe and that's it i'm done thank you very much for joining us once again have a great week everyone have a great wrestling week And we will be back here next week for Survivor Series weekend. Have a good night, everyone. Bye for now.